I'm Chris Runge, and this is Study Hall. Welcome to Study Hall, the podcast dedicated to getting a little bit smarter about advertising. Hi, everybody. So this month, we did something a little bit different. Robin Douglas and I sat down and had a talk with Scott Coston, author of The Doctor Won't See You Now, Be the Savvy, Successful Biopharma Representative in a Rapidly Changing Industry. Being in the healthcare business ourselves, Robin and I obviously have a, a deep interest in this sort of book. And I think this is a really good book for anybody who's doing any kind of business development, even if you're not doing business development in um, the biopharma sector. It's got a lot in it about making effective meetings, understanding your customer, asking the right kinds of questions. And if you're new to the sector, it has a great summation of how we lost access to physicians, along with a very workable plan on how, in some instances, you can regain access. The Doctor Won't See You Now is a rewarding and very worthwhile book. Scott himself is a distinguished veteran of over 18 years in biopharma sales. And uh, his bio says, after serving as an officer in the U.S. Air Force, Scott entered the private sector in 1999, where he found that developing business in the biopharma industry aligned well with his scientific and medical interests and his goal achievement orientation. His biopharma career began in Everett, Washington, with the Everett Clinic at its epicenter. The 300-doctor clinic had closed its doors to representatives two years prior, an ominous precursor to what has become a national norm. This set the stage early for Scott to succeed where many have not, in one of the most limited access areas in the country. Scott still lives and works in the Pacific Northwest, where he's inspiring his representatives to transform how they connect with and serve their customers. Before we start, I want to let you know that you can find Scott's book at Amazon.com, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I want to let you know that the opinions expressed by Scott are his own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of his employer. So without further ado, here's part one of our interview with Scott Costin. Welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you coming. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Could you just tell us a little bit about the story of when and why you decided to write the book? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, It was a a lot of years in progress, many years as a work in progress. And I didn't know it uh, back 18 years ago when I started in this business. Uh, my very first territory was in Everett, Washington, and working with the representative that I was taking over for, she told me that uh, the primary group in my territory, the Everett Clinic, had closed their doors to industry uh, two years prior, um, 300 customers mm-hmm. or so in there, and they were they had a hard stop, and uh, that was the that was my greeting to this industry. Um, so it turns out that wasn't the only group to close their doors. That was just the beginning of a tidal wave. And it just continued to happen year after year after year. And then many other changes occurred too. Managed markets, uh, managed care rather, took over uh, a lot of the decision-making for providers. Uh, health systems decided that they wanted to continue to get larger and purchase many of these smaller groups. And all of these changes just continued to make access uh, to our customers much more difficult. And right around the same time, there was a study published by uh, Ashley Rizana, a Canadian physician, who uh, characterized that, in fact, uh, our industry does uh, influence our customers. And the study has been cited maybe more than any other study of its kind. So uh, our customers, leaders, health systems, all of these different groups decided, hmm, maybe it's not in our best interest to have representatives from Biopharma just walking in and out of here unabated all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And it that was the center of my world for years and years. So we had to do a lot of extra work to uh, identify ways to connect with customers and to be really, truly useful to customers. And it was a challenge. 
And it culminated for me um, during one stretch of my career where it was an extraordinary challenge. Uh, We had a lot of representatives in a small area, and it was very difficult to see these customers. And it turned out to be incredibly frustrating. Uh, Performance-wise, we were always at the bottom of the organization. And uh, after so much research and so many, uh, just so much homework, really, uh, and so many attempts at different ways to connect with customers and be really, truly valuable and useful to them, uh, it just wasn't, it physically wasn't possible. So I decided to make a change and I started to apply all of these theories that I had generated with my group. And it turns out Mm -hmm. they all work. As long as you're with an organization that supports that, that supports you, you have a product, you have culture, you have resources that are genuinely valuable. I mean, substantive resources that are really useful to your customers. It turns out it all works Mm -hmm. and have had a lot of success as a result of that. And people started asking, have you written a book? Maybe you should write a book about this. You've done a lot of homework. Um, Mm -hmm. So eventually you start to listen. And uh, one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, she's a, a huge advocate for creativity outlets as a a vehicle for innovation. And so writing a book is a very creative outlet. It was a three-year creative process, but it was an extraordinarily valuable one for me um, because I just felt like there's so much information that people don't know about how to be successful in this business. And uh, people are so frustrated, especially in these markets where access is really challenging. And I, I was just, I was really tired of seeing it. And I wanted people to find more success in the work that they do in this industry and be more useful and productive to our customers. And so I did it. I wrote the book. I found an editor, a fabulous editor, mm-hmm. and uh, put it all together. And now you have it. Well, I agree. I think it's a, I think it is a valuable book. So what was it like? Do you, would you do it again? I absolutely would do it again. Uh, there was, there was so much I derived from the process of doing all the research and just the process of learning how to uh, write and publish and market a book. Um, it was a huge learning experience for me. It's self-published. So it's just, it was all on me. Um, and there's, I think there's just so mm-hmm. much that's useful in that book. You know, I give away all my secrets, um, but they're not secrets really. It's just people who've done their homework, who've been doing this work for a long time, I think have some understanding of a lot of what's in there. Mm-hmm. But for people who are newer into the industry, a lot of this isn't going to be taught to them. These are pearls that, they are expected to figure out on their own. And I just put them all in a book. So yeah, I, I'm a fan of saving people <laughs> uh, from having to do the work that they don't have to do necessarily. And this book would be helpful for a lot of people uh-huh. in that way. Here's the big question. Every book changes the world yeah. a little bit, right? Some change it a lot. How do you hope this book changes the world? You know, in my own little small way, uh, I hope that it helps people get more Uh, joy out of the work that they do every day. Those that work in this biopharma industry, I hope they get more joy out of the work that they do every day after reading it and applying what's in there Mm -hmm. uh, because there's a lot of research and work and suffering Mm -hmm. and learning that is in that book, in those pages. And people don't have to go through all the same stuff that I went through and that my colleagues went through (laughs) and my peers went through. They they can just turn the pages and and Mm -hmm. find out for themselves and apply it themselves it will make a huge difference. And it it might change for some people, the organization that they're with. For some, it might change the way that they work. It might change their priorities and how they work with customers. Uh, But I think it'll bring a lot more joy to a lot more Mm -hmm. people in this industry because Mm -hmm. ultimately we just want to help. We just want to be resourceful. We want our health systems, their patients, 
I mean, we're all patients. We just want all of these people to derive the maximum benefits possible uh, from the products that we represent. And I think if people read this, then they will have a higher likelihood of being really beneficial, really substantively helpful to their customers. We all see it. Like you say, we're all consumers, just like we're all patients. And we, we see now that there's a kind of an attentional crisis going on, right? Everybody's competing for our attention. There's a, there's a ton of things changing just in the regular consumer marketplace. And as you describe in the book, there's a ton of things changing in the, in the physician decision-maker marketplace for pharma reps. Um, so I guess that all leads me to this question, you know, how will the pharma selling model look in five years? In your yeah, view? That's a great question because it's a, it's one that could go a lot of different ways. Uh, I, I don't know that it's going to look substantially different, uh, Chris. I don't, mm -hmm. we're not notoriously fast at changing um, this type of element of our work, um, the selling model. Um, and the, the there are so many different models out there now. I've been with five different organizations right. in 18 years through various reasons and uh, five different models, maybe even more, six different right. models. And there are many more out there. I don't know that it's going to look substantively different uh, or substantially different, but I do think there are little changes that will occur. There, there, there I mean, we apply in the field every day. We apply slight changes to the model based on our customers' needs. You know, that's interesting to me because so often now you'll read, uh, and I think it's uh, partly it's like a sort of a clickbait phenomenon. People are trying to write books that are sort of controversial and interesting. And one way to do it is to sort of talk about the end of advertising, talk about the crisis in advertising, mm. you know, create a crisis and then posit the solution, right? Mm -hmm. But... Um, it's interesting. I've, I've, I wonder, so you, you don't see it changing much at all. It's still going to be pretty much the same industry as it's always been. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing this for 18 years, uh, a little over, and the models are basically the same as they were 18 years ago. So I, I really don't think that the, 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 the teaching model that gets taught to everyone right. is going to change. But I absolutely think that what you see in the field uh, – uh -huh does change. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, these selling models do have utility, even though they're not the, you know, the standard A to Z of what's implemented with a customer every day during a meeting. There is utility in these models quite a bit, actually. And, you know, we still, we still teach these models in my current organization. And this is what I teach my group is there's utility in these models. When you find the different elements, and you can really refine the different elements. Like every model has a questioning aspect to it, you know, probing, questioning, um, investigating, call it what you like. But that piece of it is particularly useful. Uh, and I, I kind of refine the context of that a little bit when I work with my group, uh, like the Toyota Way, the, the Toyota Way, they teach you to ask five layers of questions. So when you get a piece of information, you ask five more questions until you get to the real root of what the problem, challenge, opportunity is, I think there's a lot of utility in that type of approach. Now, you don't want to interview people uh, in an unsophisticated, non-productive way, just asking question after question. Right. This needs to—that's why I say it's a skill, and it is useful for people to learn how to do this effectively. Um, but the the general selling model, I think that there might hopefully be some movement. 
as I talk about in the book, mm-hmm. you know, meetings versus calls. And it's just a nomenclature change. I mean, you can still call them calls, but the intent of applying a meeting title to it is that people will uh, really treat it as a productive conversation. Yep. So a selling model, I don't know, that, that seems to be kind of one-sided. If, if you're engaged in a productive, mutually beneficial conversation during a meeting with a customer, you have a notepad out, they have a notepad out, you have questions, they have questions, you have needs, they have needs. Now, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, I agree. I think that the vision of a call, at least the one I grew up with, was I stand here with the sales aid in hand and I run through the charts with you and I make sure I hit all the sure. messages. Very much like a very much like a commercial just sort of set up in live action. Whereas what I liked, one of the things I liked about your book was um, it's much more about understanding the individual context you're in. And, and Scott, do you feel like there's a, a better way for, for the, for the marketing organizations to enable that sales process of so the, the selling model isn't going to change that drastically, uh, especially in the next five years or so. Are there things that you hope the marketing organizations within this industry do to better enable it and better to better enable those sales reps to become that valued resource that you described earlier? Yeah. So uh, marketing, I love marketing. Um, in fact, I, I want to do some more study on my own and research on how to be uh, effective in that realm. Uh, I've encountered some great ones over the years and there are two fundamental elements of marketing that I think are particularly useful when it comes to uh, learning about what's most effective for them to produce, invest in, et cetera. And one of those is relatively straightforward. The other is a little more difficult to uh, assemble or gather uh, might be the right word. But the first is, is communicating with the field and having a set um, consistent productive structure for communication with the field organization so they can derive input. Uh, They can gather opinions on different resources and they can hear uh, different ideas and thoughts and hopefully innovation and creativity are supported and encouraged um, through, there's, you you call them a field input team or a, a feedback team or a product team, but different members of the field organization who are assembled to connect with uh, different product managers around different products, and they serve a very purposeful um, two-way communication uh, path where they can provide input. Um, I've seen that done very effectively, and I've seen it done very sporadically where it's not very effective, and the result is there's very little input that's actually provided from the field and and the customers in the front lines. The other element of this that is a little more difficult to, um, geez, fix <laughs> might be the right word, um, is whenever people from the home office or a corporate office, whether it's marketing or leaders or sales operations, uh, executives, whenever they ride with uh, representatives, they don't get a typical day. And for good reason, in many ways. They get a very curated sort of day where it is somebody is coming to work with the representative. So that person might be uh, used to connect with different customers that are perhaps more difficult to connect with. And they want people further up the food chain or in different departments uh, to talk with before they're going to meet with you. 
Um, they might do appointment after appointment after appointment after appointment, then a lunch meeting, and then more appointments in the afternoon. And they just pack the day. And they're calling in favor after favor after favor to get these meetings. Because I know there are many markets in the country where you can do that. You can, you can walk into some places all day long. That's not the world that I operate in. It has never been. We can't just walk in and see eight customers a day. So if they're calling in and getting all these appointments scheduled because they've got you know, a product manager or an executive uh, or somebody from a research company coming to work with them, that's not a typical day. Well, the result of that, I think, are distorted data points that the guest takes with them back to the home office. And when that happens over and over and over and over and over again, well, now you get a lot of distorted data points that aren't particularly useful, I don't feel. So some of what I'm trying to do now is gather some more research, do some more uh, homework on uh, unbiased uh, opinions, views, et cetera, from the field. But uh, that's one of the fundamental reasons that I'm interested in that research is I think there's so much uh, bias and inaccurate, inaccurate information uh, or incomplete information that is assembled when people go right in the field because these days are so specifically curated. So I don't know. It's a, it's kind of an unknown for me. I, I, I may get proven wrong, and those data points may be proven all accurate and useful, but my guess is, I mean, I've talked to many leaders and executives and, and marketers and others from the home office over the years, and one, I'll give you one example <laughs> Uh, a director rode with a representative. Wow, it doesn't look like you have any challenges accessing your customers here. We just saw nothing but customers all day long. Well, she had called in all sorts of appointment requests. I mean, she probably made 20 requests and probably got five meetings. I mean, she she built a very specific curated day for this person. And that is not a typical day. But what did he walk away with? He had walked away with the opinion that, oh, you don't have any challenges here. This is, I mean, you're, they love you. You can walk in everywhere. <laughs> well, no, right. you can't. This is not what tomorrow is going to look like. Well, that reminds me of what you were saying about call frequency. Maybe it's time to talk about that. You know, you, you're sort of talking about call frequency, and that's, a, a, of course, a widely used metric. What do you, th- what do you think about that as a, as a metric? And if you don't like it, which I, you know, what do you think should replace it? Yeah, this is a hot topic for me, Chris. I, uh, I, I want to know the answer. I want to know what I can put, what I can offer up, what anyone can offer up right. in place of call frequency. And I don't have a good answer yet. Um, it's, it's a metric that people, you know, they're going to, if they're going to be forced to meet it, they're either going to meet it or they're not. And if they're not going to meet it and they're not achieving their sales quotas and objectives, well, then it's going to be one of the data points that they use to move on, get moved out of the organization. And that is an incredibly frustrating attribute of our work when we're compared to, you know, representatives, managers are compared to people where access is not so much a challenge. Uh, Go down to, more open access markets down in the Southeast Mm -hmm. uh, where you can go in and see eight, nine, 10 people a day. No problem. Right. You're compared to others up here or in in less accessible markets, more health Uh systems, more federal accounts, take your pick. Why can't, why can't your team do that? Why can't you achieve those call objectives? And, Oh brother. I mean, call objective, call, call metrics, or at least the, you know, the, yeah, the call, call, 
rate seems to be like they use it like an in, a leading indicator. Seems like it for, is, and it seems like actually to me it seems like a fairly poor leading indicator, quite honestly, because there's such a there can be such a variation in call quality, right? I think that's fairly. I don't think there's any amazing insight to that. Um, but Correct. what do you what do you like these days? What what would you without sort of pinning you down or putting you on the spot? I mean, is there anything? Any kind of metric you'd, you'd like to see in play these days that's not? Well, I, actually, I think how you characterized it is how it's most effectively employed. Mm-hmm. And until I have a better answer or anyone has a better right. answer, this is what, uh, fortunately, the, I, I work with an organization that goes down this road. We, we use it as one data point. And the primary metric for us is business development. Are you developing business? And it, it becomes the responsibility of, I'm a district manager, that it becomes our responsibility to assess every one of our territories, our personnel becomes the representative's responsibility to assess their business and develop their business where they can. So in that world, how do you create supporting materials at work? How's that going? I think it's going better. Okay. Um, as, as budgets uh, decrease or, or don't increase, and more attention is placed on what are the most useful and productive resources in developing business with your customers. Uh, I think you kind of weed out the chaff. You know, yep. you will you know, the junk will get kicked to the side. Yep. Uh, which for me is fabulous to see because we had so much stuff sent to us, you know, years and years ago that yep. just wound up in the recycle bin. There was no mm-hmm. utility. Customers would get it and they would just throw it in the trash if they would even take it at all. That sound you heard uh, was my heart breaking right there. It's my heart just, went, just broke. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm Snap. glad we're having this conversation, Chris, because it was not, believe me, it was not something that we enjoy. No, it's not uh, something we, we saw... enjoy either, actually. I think I want to just go to bat for the ad men and women out there. We have no Amen. interest in delivering ineffective creative. So. Yeah, we want it to be useful and productive. So, again, this is where I go back to uh, Robin's question earlier. How does marketing connect with the, the field organization and assemble resources that are useful? And then, mm-hmm. you know, and the ad agency is right there with that group. It's understanding from the field um, what yep. is going to be most useful and productive. So, you know, we mentioned, uh, talked before the interview, go to a whiteboard. Go yeah. to a whiteboard and sit down with, you know, somebody who's got three years experience, somebody with five years experience, somebody 10 years experience, grab a few of them, put yep. them in a room with a marketer, you know, a couple of people in an ad agency uh, group and think it through mm-hmm. what's useful, what's productive, what's helpful mm-hmm. in developing business right now and let them talk, let them offer it up. They're the yep. ones who are the feet on the street every single day and you will get, uh, it's so nice for me to be with an organization where this type of input is so Mm -hmm. revered and it's genuinely revered. I'm I'm looking at a workbook in front of me right now that was produced. And I look at some of the changes that occurred in this book. And I know the people because I'm part of the field input team that helped assemble uh, the ideas around this for the changes. I know who recommended these changes. Mm -hmm. They specifically apply the suggestions from the field. And I, I, I think the field, that's the, that's the data set where you mm. get the level of nuance and fidelity that's necessary to make decisions around creative. Is there anything that's off the table? Or just for all those people out there that are saying print is dead, say, or the direct mail piece is dead, would you say there's anything off the table? You know, I don't know. 
I, I'm, I'm maybe not the best person to ask okay. around the, the, just the channels and their uh, potential nationwide. Um, some things I can give you uh, generalities like mail. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what utility mail has. Um, I think though the, the converse of that is the individual representative. Man, yeah. there, uh, there's just nothing more helpful to a customer than a very well-trained, very well-resourced, mm. um, motivated, intelligent field representative. And if you resource those people effectively, they can be incredibly effective at helping you develop business for the customers. I, mm -hmm. I call it mutually beneficial business development. If it's good for our customers, it's good for us. So when my customers look at us and they go, oh, yeah, you guys just want one thing. Well, yeah, we want you to be successful with the service line because if you're right. not, it's not helpful for us. And it's not helpful for you or for your patients. So anything that they have in their hands that helps the customer right. is extremely helpful for us. And I'm in an organization now that, that does a very good job of that. That's great. They, we, we have refined things very well. I think we continue to refine things very well, but I've never seen – the level of attention placed on field input um, at another organization like I have with this group. So I think mm -hmm. companies are continuing to refine that. I don't know what's going on in the rest of the industry out there. I think there may be some holdouts where there's uh, ineffective uh, resources are deployed, but I, I think it's being refined by necessity because yeah. the customers demand more. I think that's right. I think it's, it's not so much a question of, um, you know, people lagging so far behind. I think it's more a question of kind of, gaining an edge, being out there and getting some sort of marginal improvement that gives you some kind of edge over the competition. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's, I don't think there are that many dinosaurs out there that are kind of lumbering through the sales aid any longer, but I, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but um, I, I think sense. there are far fewer of them yeah. uh, lumbering yep. through it. it. It has to be about business development. It has to be very tactical based on the priorities and interests and needs of the customer. And if it's not, then the, the patience that customers have for, you know, uh, somebody to come and stand in front of them and market to them for two to three minutes in between patients, the patience that they have for that is in many areas gone. There's no utility for them. It's not productive yeah. for them. Why would they, why would they do that? Well, uh, it's a, it, yes. And I think in the larger context of advertising, people would say that's, that's this idea of infobesity. People need to make sure they're they're consuming good information now, in a way that that's never been true before. Because we're just so bombarded with all kinds of information constantly. Yeah. And if you don't make sure that you're you're sort of consuming <laughs> a lot of green leafy information, you're going to get you're going to get pretty sick pretty quick. And, uh, yeah. and I think people are, you know, you see it everywhere. People are just reacting to it. And so why would physicians be any different? Of course, they want so to get their attention back and they want to make sure they're getting the best attention, uh, the best information, you know, in exchange for their attention. The, I think the best part of your book, and it's a great book all the way around, but the best part was making, making effective meetings. And one of the things I loved about the book was how you talked about questions. So I just want to, I want to end up with a, with a, with a question on questions, how do you tease out what a customer really wants as opposed to what they say they want? I love this section. I love the whole meeting that you're writing those chapters towards the tail end of the book 
because for me, when I went back into an individual contributor role, this was the foundation of mm -hmm. any success that I had. It was establishing meetings with customers that were truly productive and uh, generating mutually beneficial outcomes. The, the genesis of the meeting is just connecting with the customer and then understanding their priorities and interests. Mm -hmm. you know, we love to talk about goals, and I watch it over and over again in years past. Just talk, ask the customer, what are your goals? What are your goals? Oh, my gosh. We asked so many customers what their goals were, and we got these blank looks like, my goals? Uh, I want to be out of here before 8 o'clock tonight so I can you know, have dinner uh, with my husband or with my wife. Right. You know, my goals, I don't know. I, I, you know, there's always the outliers. There's the exceptions. But we change the words. We just mm -hmm. simply change the words. What are your priorities this month or this quarter or even, you know, for the first six months of the year? Holy cow, do you get a different response? What are some of the things you're interested in for this particular service line, talking to a clinic manager or an administrator? What are some of the things you're interested in? Uh, changing, developing, enhancing, improving, refining for this service line. Holy cow, you get completely different responses. Um, we asked one customer up in Alaska, what are your priorities? MIPS. I need to get this group ready for the new merit-based incentive uh, payment system for CMS. And that was number one. So we made a conscious decision based on her response to us that, you know, we're, we're, I, I totally get it. She was buried. She had huge priorities. So we left her alone for the next few months. And, oh, my gosh, do they appreciate and respect you for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, if you ask those, if you use those words when you're asking questions, mm -hmm. tell me what your priorities are, uh, you know, in the near future. And you, you might have a more uh, global conversation. 2019 is just around the corner. What are your priorities right. for this service line, for this particular treatment option uh, in 2019? What do you want to see change, grow, develop, improve, refine? And you have the beginning of a fantastic conversation because now you can find some of the things that they're really interested in. It but sounds like you make it more about them than that. you make it about, sorry, go oh, ahead. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. It, it's, it has to be a hundred percent about them. Mm -hmm. What are their priorities? Mm -hmm. But it, you know, a lot of it is what is a meeting predicated on? You know, are you asking for a meeting because, I would love to have a meeting with you because I think it would be really useful for you to hear what I have to say about what you might do better. <laughs> you know, I'm giving you a very uh, dramatized example, but uh, I bet Neil it's Carney, been. I bet that's happened. I bet you that's happened so many times. Yeah, it's not about I. It's not about me. It's about you. Right. So I teach my group to write emails, very succinct emails that focus on them. Mm -hmm. You might find a brief introduction useful, uh, given some of your priorities. Uh, some of what we have that might help are A, B, C. I'm available this time and this time. Let me know what time you prefer. Right. There's, there's the structure of a meeting. I think that's such an important insight. It really resonated for me. Make it about them and not about you. Because I think the temptation, especially early on in your career, is to try to get your value proposition across without thinking about whether your value proposition is even relevant. At least that's, that's been yeah. my experience. So I think that's a great, I thought that was a great uh, insight. And thanks for the insight on questions too. I think that's a really, 
that's a really important way to, to approach things, ask the right questions. I love the book, and uh, I want to let all the study haulers know where they can pick it up. So where's the best place to get a hold of your book? Probably the best place that uh, you can get a hold of most books, Amazon.com. The doctor won't see you now. It's readily available. Uh, I discounted the price uh, to make it easier for people to get. Uh, fourteen ninety five plus the usual shipping tax, et cetera. Um, so yeah, the doctor won't see you now on Amazon. The doctor won't see you now on Amazon.com. Yes, sir. Everybody should go out and get that. Do yourself a favor. It would be cheap at twice the price. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Congratulations, you just got out of study hall. I want to thank Henry Veloso for the music and say sorry about the editing. I did it myself. Study hall is sponsored by Douglas and Runke, an advertising and marketing consultancy. See you next time.